calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The, the quick story of this podcast is I decided um, to do this because I am uh, I'm quite a Frasier fan or as one of my guests called me a craniac. Um, so that was Josh Gondelman, who's a comedian. He actually writes for uh, last week tonight. So he was a guest um, and his uh, wife is named Maris. So we talked about that for a long time. <laughs> There, there is a real Maris. There is, there is a, uh, there is a, an actual Maris after whom the character was named. A good friend of David Lee. Really? Yes. Uh, she, I had no she idea. She's an actress. Her name is Maris. Well, I should know if I should tell you her last name. Well, I don't want her be, I don't want her besieged on <laughs> by craniacs on Facebook. <laughs> her name is Maris Clement. She's an actress. She's a delightful woman. Uh, she was in the original Broadway cast of On the Twentieth Century, among other things. And she, wow. she and David were were you know were theater buddies together, uh, you know from from way back. And he named the offstage character after her. We would we would frequently we would frequently name you know characters after the writers. There's uh, there's Mrs. Richmond, uh, who is the woman in Mrs. Richmond. Mrs. Richmond. She was of course Jeff Richmond, the writer. Uh, the actress who played her okay. and Harriet Harris both both were both in my wedding. Wow. <laughs> But other other characters, I mean, everybody, if you wrote a script and you had to name an offstage character, people frequently would name them after high school friends. So your friend could watch Frasier and hear their name on it. And I would do that all the time. If you just needed a name out of nowhere, why not make it a shout out to a friend? Oh, for sure. Yes. I noticed that um, just I've done that before when I've been writing a yeah. script because I, yeah. The names need to come from somewhere. Welcome to I'm Listening. This is a Frasier fan podcast that explores themes and moments and topics uh, from the show, one of my favorite shows. Um, so we usually have a special guest, and today is no different, except it's a very, very special guest that we have today. Um, so I am actually joined by one of the writers, and correct me if I'm wrong, executive producers of the show, Frasier, Please welcome Joe Keenan to the podcast. Hello, Joe. How are you? Hello, Anita. I'm delighted that you want to talk to me. Uh, executive, uh, executive producer was my title by the end of the show, but I started it. It was my first job, so I started 
uh, as an executive story editor. And usually the way it works in the show is that, you know, when people are called back to another season, they, they tend to get a title bump each year, eventually rising to the level of executive producer. Uh, you'll notice wow. that you'll notice when you see credits that if the show's been on a long time, everybody's an executive producer because they've all been doing it for a long time. I had no idea. Do you know that? Um, I don't know if you've ever Wikipedia yourself, um, but when I was uh, looking at episodes that you wrote, uh, there was a note under the episode "The Matchmaker" that said it is noteworthy in being Joe Keenan's first episode produced on the show after he became a regular writer and eventually executive producer on the show. And I, I was aware that it won uh, a GLAAD award. Yeah. So first of all, after Googling myself, I don't know what sort of vain creature you take me for. I've never done that. Uh, actually, <laughs> it was, it was, yes, it was the first, you'll notice the, the, the tricky wording there. It was the first episode that was produced by the show. The way that worked was that, uh, and toward the end of season one, I had done a pilot at Paramount, which was my first TV script ever produced, uh, the pilot. And when that didn't go, there was possible interest in my joining Frasier for the second season. And I was invited to write a script as an audition. And that script that I that I wrote uh, during the first season was eventually done. Uh, it was Botch Language of Cranes, which was the second one produced. So, uh, so the matchmaker was actually... Uh, my second script, it was the first one that I wrote after I'd actually joined the staff and was in the room and working with people. I'd written the other one back in New York on my own. Uh, but it was the first one produced. Yes. Wow. I'm curious, do you have a like a favorite episode that you did write of, of all of the episodes? Uh, that's always a hard one. I mean, I, I, I had a special soft spot, you know, for the farces. And I probably of... Of the farces I wrote, my favorite may have been Out With Dad, just for the reason that of all of them, I mean, they're all funny and they're all convoluted and misunderstandings and such, but that one had a little bit more unexpected heart than the other ones that wound up in a, in a kind of sweet place that you didn't see coming. And sweet is, you know, make no mistake, sweet is not what you're aiming for with the farce. You're aiming for, you know, sure. you're aiming for, you know, maximum confusion and escalating comedy finally erupting. And, you know, and in the last moment, everybody you know, realizes what they've gotten wrong with the lies revealed. But that one is the only one where the basis of the farce is people trying to help each other. Uh, farce often begins, you know, they're, well, there are two kinds of farce, I think. One is the farce of misperception, where everybody just the wrong end of the stick. And the matchmaker was a farce of misperception, and the ski lodge was a farce of misperception, where everybody just got it wrong. And then there are farces of deception, where people, for whatever purpose, tell a lie to somebody. And it's usually a polite or a social lie, the ramifications of which you don't think you'll have to deal with momentarily. But what ultimately happens is the situation extends past the point where you thought it would, and now you're stuck with this lie that you can't climb down from. And it often mm -hmm. requires telling other lies, and the situation builds and gets more complicated, and your, your predicament gets bigger. So, But uh, the lie told in, in Out With Dad was Martin, you know, letting a woman think he was gay. So it was not to ruin Frazier's romantic chances with his daughter. He's not, he's not trying to do anything but avoid hurting this woman's feelings because that would damage Frazier's uh, chance of, you know, of 
continually romance with the daughter. So to spare her feelings, he, he doesn't even tell the lie, by the way. She, she jumps to that conclusion, and he goes with it. But having let her think he's gay, mm-hmm. everything else you know, proceeds from that, from, that, from that deception. But you know, it, it's, it's a very, very sweet show in the way it yeah, ends, sure. in the way Martin winds up unexpectedly bonding with this middle-aged, you know, homosexual guy, the, the uncle he set up on a date mm-hmm. with. So I, I like it just a skosh better, as Frazier would say, <laughs> for that reason. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's definitely some extra heart uh, in that episode. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I, I think it depends on the person. But for me, you know, depending on it, at least with Frasier, it's a show that I really loved because I also one part of it that I do relate to, because for me, the show is is a, often an, like an escape for me in a way, because a lot of most of the show is not necessarily things that I can relate to as a, you know, a Latina woman. But like it's uh the one thing that I do relate to is the relationship uh, that Frazier has with his dad. I'm very close to my dad. Uh, so often, um, as I've talked about with other guests, you know, the the beauty of, at least for me, my favorite um, comedies, including Frasier, is this idea that's to pretty re- unrealistic in real life, which is that you find these people, whether it be your you know, you're a healthcare worker, uh, your radio producer, and because it's not real life, you end up spending the next 11 years together <laughs> in close quarters. Um, and so uh, even though like another example would be <laughs> King of Queens, for example, because I think about my dad and the fact that I'd love to live closer to him. So I love the idea of either living with him like Frazier does with his dad or in the garage like uh, uh, Kevin James's father-in-law does with his father-in-law. So uh, that's part of the reason I do really love Frasier is that sort of genuine, you know, granted they are so different, uh, the the actual bond that lies uh, with with Frasier and Niles and Martin. So I, um, I really did like that episode. But while we're still talking about farce, uh, so as you were describing it, I mean, you know, truth be told, until I had uh, my uh, Anthony Oliveira, uh, Oliveira, who I believe you have at least spoken to on Twitter. Yes, we have, we, we have gone back and forth on Twitter. I'm a big fan of his. I mean, we we um, I end up talking about the episode The Ski Lodge a lot because it is, I would say, my favorite episode of the entire show. And for me, you know, I think about the structure of that show. And now that I finally have you here with me, I'm very I'm very curious about I mean, granted, the 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 word farce or farce is is part of that um is part of that episode so i am curious i know it's been a while but maybe even not just that episode but out with dad too any anything where there is this sort of escalating situation that doesn't sort of sort itself out until the end do you have like a a process that you would go through um in terms of structurally when you were writing an episode like this with farce well, the main thing you you have to remember with farce is that you're trying to get to a place of really big, broad absurdity and high comedy, and it only works if you get there through very small and scrupulously logical steps. The minute you know mm-hmm. people don't buy something, the whole plate collapses. You have to you have mm. to absolutely be able to be you know, believe every step along the way, or you start to feel that the writers and the actors are just pulling strings and trying to put one. I and mean, as soon as anybody says, 
oh, my God, that would never happen. Why on earth would he say or do that when the logical thing would be to do this and clear it up immediately? There always has to be there always has to be a reason why that hasn't happened. Um, I mean, even even in in going about to veer off the sea watch for a second, even going about out with that, I knew that the comedy would depend upon, you know, uh, the perception that Martin was gay. Uh, and that they would bring back this date for him. And Martin would not have first realized that this guy who showed up with Frazier's date, her uncle, was meant to be a date for him. Uh, but I thought, well, why do, why do they think Martin's gay? And I thought, well, you know, they, he's trying to avoid her in the feelings of the mother. And so does he tell her he's gay? And I thought, no, Martin wouldn't do that. That would be a false moment. Right. Martin would come up with that. So what happens <laughs> is that he's left with this woman that he's inadvertently waved at. He was waving to the daughter to get her attention. Mom thought the wave was for her. And now she's flirting with him at intermission. And he's feeling very uncomfortable because he's not interested in a high-class opera-loving dame like her. Uh, and... He's trying to make small talk, and in making the small talk, he quotes Fraser's line about the soprano playing Gilda and the production of Rigoletta being, she's no Renata Tabalde. And Martin, <laughs> at a loss for something to say, quotes it. And then when she says, you know, I have tickets for another opera next week, and he suddenly goes all bashful and awkward, he tries to explain, says, it, it's, you know, it's not you, it's just you see, and she says, you're gay. <laughs> and he right. says hurting her feelings, we'll go with that. And she says, well, I thought you might be how many straight men remember who Bernardo Spaldi was. And so logically quoting Frazier in an awkward situation has led to a misperception, which he's gone with because it's the easier route, rather than saying, no, I'm straight, I just don't like you. you know, he, he's done what he thinks, you know, is a graceful exit from an awkward situation, and then the entire second act is the ramifications of it. So that, I mean, that's an example of just trying to, you know, while you're plotting something, say, oh, she has to think that, but why would she? And Martin could say it, but Martin wouldn't say it, so how does it happen? So plus, it's always, it's always addressing one little logical problem. Like, the, the genesis of the ski log was, was, you know, really... Uh, really kind of unique in that I, I went, it was right before Christmas and we were trying to, you know, break a story to come back with. And we were said, well, let's do, we haven't done a cabin show in a while where they all go off. What would be a variation <laughs> on a cabin show that we haven't done before? Um, mm-hmm. And the minute we got, you know, the, the idea of, you know, Daphne bringing her girl that was chasing and there's, you know, a handsome, uh, French ski instructor, just in the first, you know, mm-hmm. five minutes of talking about it, I suddenly thought, huh, so Frazier is chasing Daphne's friend, Annie. Annie, mm-hmm. uh, Annie is chasing Niles. Niles is, as always, chasing Daphne. Daphne is chasing <laughs> the handsome ski instructor. And the handsome ski instructor, and here's a surprise, chasing Niles. And I said, well, this situation is very funny as long as nobody realizes who's pursuing them and at the same time, at the same time, is given a an incorrect signal that the person that the person they're interested in interested in them back. And so you started you just had to answer questions, why do you know why why do they all think that? How do they get the wrong end of the stick? And then the idea of Martin, you know, having his ears clogged up in the mountains and the imagining <laughs> things that, that gave everybody it, him hearing things only halfway and making response and sure. just, just send everybody off on the uh, on the wrong track. Even at, even at that, you know, making them. Uh, Chris Lloyd had a wonderful idea. We say, what is going to make everybody once they they've all gone to their rooms summon the courage? 
you know, to start knocking on doors and, you know, and proffering sex to the object of their desire. And two <laughs> things, two things about that. One was me and Martin's famous Rom got everybody just a little loose, uninhibited. But he also, you know, he, maybe he should say something about the, your regrets in life or about the things you, not about the things you do, but the things you don't do. So everybody, he's is put in everybody's head of, you know, how I feel at, at the end of this weekend if I if I lost the courage to make my move and damn it, I'm going to. And that's that scene. But, but he, he, was, I mean, it was a great idea for Chris that that, you know, that, that, that final push for everybody to say, uh, right, I'm going for it, you know, came out of something that was just a little, a little bit emotional. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just even like teeny tiny things about that episode. Like one thing that comes to mind is even just a line at the very end that so funny. And I thought, is this so so the the instructor's name is Guy and and just a line that just made me laugh at the end is I'm not gay, Guy. And I thought I, I and I've heard I've you know watched the episode so many times. I'm like, when did when did you decide that his name should be Guy? Because because, you know, you had to write that line with that name in mind. I mean, it, there's just all these te- like it feels like a mathematical equation to me. It, the, the comedy is absolutely the mathiest of all the farces we did. There are more misunderstandings yeah. and yeah, ricocheting off the walls and in, in that one. Actually, my favorite, my two favorite lines from that are um, are when you are when you know he, you know. You know, Guy bursts in and finds Fraser in bed and says, you are not the client I want. He says, you're not even the sex <laughs> I want. And when Andy says, I'm- oh, so it's a threesome you want. Well, I don't do those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now, you doing a, a British accent brings me to a question I have for you, which is, number one, I, I like your British accent. Sounds like you've spent some time there. <laughs> I, I say that because I think that you mentioned in a tweet when um, I was promoting Anthony's episode. I feel like you mentioned that you perhaps either visited or lived in England. Is that incorrect? Correct. I, I visited. I, I visited only once and far too briefly. And was a, a British uh, film producer who would acquired the rights to my novel, and you know was was trying to set it up over there. So I, I went there. Actually, that that visit, you know, prompted something that's of interest vis-a-vis Frazier and Niles and the whole the whole issue of male metrosexual men who were who were easily perceived. But I was put up with this very posh English doctor named Doctor uh-huh. Doctor Johnny Gaynor, and I completely mm-hmm. took the man to be gay because he was so he was so put together, <laughs> so every single little posh detail was perfect, and the conversation was all about <laughs> Freddie Ashton and the Royal Ballet. And as we were having lunch, this woman showed up, this very attractive, you know, blonde woman, you know, and, you know, uh-huh. a real, you know, Annie looking like very, very <laughs> sexy. And she just, you know, came by and she disappeared into the kitchen and he immediately became, you know, a sniggling straight character out of a Rekumi sex star saying, not bad, huh? Not bad. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh I completely, my God. I completely <laughs> took, you know, the, you know, the man to be gay, but he's, you know, straight and absurdly proud of, of his two young girlfriends. <sighs> wow. Wow. <laughs> So that, that, so that whenever people would say, oh, well, I'm afraid you're not gay, I said, well, you've clearly never been to London because, you know, <laughs> the old joke of, you know, a homosexual and an Englishman being a distinction without a difference. Well, that, I mean, that does make me think about the fact that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the, the episode The Matchmaker was the first episode before uh, several other ones came along of, you know, at least one crane being mistaken 
for gay. So did any of that come from sort of you having that trip and sort of looking at, you know, stereotypes around, you know, gay stereotypes or or stereotypes around metrosexuals? Uh, not really. It was certainly always, you know, yeah. clear from the get-go that Fraser and Niles and their and their fussiness and their devotion to fashion and grooming and high culture were were people who would signify as gay to a lot of people, you know, who who didn't know them and just went off the surface clues. Um, sure, but but sure. the uh, the idea for the matchmaker came out of we were looking for an episode. Uh, based on uh, Daphne dating Frazier's boss. He said, what if Frazier brought his boss home to dinner and uh, and he took a shine to Daphne and that one might be an interesting comic situation to explore where his employee is dating his boss. And we thought, well, that's, that's funny, but we started batting it around and we it, the idea just wasn't going anywhere as happens, you know, you know, four times out of five, you get an idea and you just can't develop it to your satisfaction. And it's like, what would be funny about that dinner? And I just said, oh, well, maybe it's a funny scene if you think he's on a date with Frazier. And the entire story developed from that. It's like, well, why does he think, why does he, why does he think Frazier's gay? Again, you're back to farce plotting. We have to, you know, he takes Frazier to be, <laughs> he takes Frazier to be gay, for, you know, because they start having that conversation and they're talking about London and they're talking about fashion and they're, you know, they're talking things that signify, you know, Frazier is gay to him. And we have, and, and he in turn is, you know, to, to flip the stereotype on its side, on his, on his back, um, Frazier never assumes that he is gay because he's he's not remotely nothing about him signals he's just like Frazier so he's gay <laughs> uh, he's, right. he's he's not you know he's not remotely you know effeminate uh, or you know, or anything that would clearly signal gay to Frazier so Frazier assumes he's straight he assumes Frazier is gay and when we find out you know we have to find out that he's gay who does he talk to he talks to Roz why doesn't Roz correct him because Frazier is just insulted him. like you have to go back and insert the <laughs> insult so that when we get the information, there's a reason for Roz not to clear it up. It's like, well, why wouldn't Roz just say, why wouldn't Roz just say, oh, actually, you know, Frazier's not not gay. You know, Frazier, Frazier, as he so often does, insults her. And this time she says, screw him. Let's find out in his own time if he's on a date. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, often I, in terms of like the writing that I do, I'm not generally writing screenplays. So I often always think about how much from real life goes into a script. So I think in my head, I had created this like grand idea, perhaps, because you do like in the episode that um, the the boss, he mentions he had left England and had like gotten out of a like a bad relationship or something. So in my head, I thought, hmm, I wonder if Joe had some sort of like torrid of like a fair in London. And that's what brought all of this, this whole thing on. Um, but you know, no, I mean, no, it nothing, does sound like nothing like that. It's it just, sounds, it sounds like you going there did have, a it, an effect though, just in terms of, you know, the thought process. It was, you know, it, 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 it was, it was a funny surprise to me at the time that that, that guy wasn't gay, but I would, I only thought about it you know, in later years, when people, when when the whole issue of you know American metrosexuals, which were which were pretty new, uh, and actually it's not a word anybody says anymore, is it? In metrosexuals, it, you know, it had its you know it had its ten year vogue, and uh, I did. Oh yeah, and and uh, has has gracefully retired from uh, from the language. But it, I mean, sure. I would often think about that guy when people would say, "Well, you know, aren't Fraser and Niles clearly gay?" 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I watched I started watching Frasier while it was on. So, you know, I'm I was, you know, pretty young in, in 1993. And I I didn't even know until I think the show was off the air. I didn't know, you know, how many uh, actors in real life were gay. I like I didn't know that David Hyde Pierce was gay. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't even think about. Like, I just didn't even think about the writing and the treatment of storylines until I was much older because I also grew up watching the show Friends. And it was just very, I don't know, it was interesting to see the difference. Uh, I mean, from like the early 90s, uh, what what the treatment of, of a storyline is with uh, gay characters uh, or, uh, you know, the kind of plots, the kind of farcical plots that were in Frasier felt really different than a show like friends, which was often like, you know, some, often it was the butt of a joke, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I've heard you talk about this before with other guests on your show. And I, I was not a regular viewer friend. I certainly saw the show, but I, I didn't see enough episodes to have a, a, a particular sense of how they treated gay characters. It's interesting to me when sure. I, I spent the first year of Frasier as an, as an audience member, I was you know living in New York mm-hmm. and watching the show. And at that time, and only at that time, and only because I'm you know a, a gay man who who'd grown up in a, at a time where gay men were used to looking for coded homosexuality, you know characters who sure. struck us as gay at a period where you know where entertainment didn't have that many out gay characters, the characters who were who were identified as gay. Uh, at that time, Niles struck me as a bit codedly gay. Uh, Partly mm-hmm. because of all the reasons we've discussed, partly because, I, I mean, I had met David and I knew and I had met David's uh, partner, Brian, a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, so I knew that. And I was also struck by the way Niles was a straight man whose romantic feelings were neatly balanced between uh, a, <laughs> a beautiful young woman whom he could never have or declare himself to and a wife who was invisible. And I thought I, yes, I, I yeah. thought that combination of the unattainable woman and the invisible woman read me that way again as an audience member and a gay man used to looking for every code and signal they could find. Uh, by the time right. I got on the show in season two, we started writing that that perception changed very much, partly because in the first season, the Niles attraction to Daphne was was very you know fun and mostly played for you know you know for funny beats about his you know his his crush on her. But as the show developed and the uh, the love became such, I mean, it became so much more real because it became such a big part of you know the, the show's great romantic arc was Niles and Daphne. And the more we focused stories on it, and the more David brought you know brought his hopeless love for her to, you know, very funny and often very poignant life and, you know, and all the stories that focused on that, the less it seemed to me, and the mm-hmm. more, the more absolutely real, you know, not, not both Niles had her sexuality and his love for Daphne, you know, came to seem to me and to the audience. I mean, nobody, I don't think anyone ever doubted how uh, completely, you know, heartfelt and genuine it was. I think I think it made it oh, it, it yeah. made it made it you know hard. I think for them, I we got them together at the end of seven, at the end of season seven. I think it was very hard to figure out how to navigate the relationship once it stopped being unspoken, 
and they and they had to be right. together. It was it was it was more delicate to you know to keep to keep the comedy. And there's you know, there's a reason there's a reason all the Jane Austen novels and and, and the lovers you know play, pledging themselves <laughs> to each other and revealing their feelings and because you know, it's tricky to go past that. But I was glad I was glad when we came back in in season eleven that the pregnancy you know brought sort of new wrinkles and conflict and you know, and and fun into that relationship. I mean, I actually thought. Uh, a great episode, you know, post w- once they got together, I thought a really great episode that actually to me addresses sort of the, the, the love story or sort of the, the romanticism of, of having a love you can't ever attain is when Daphne comes back from, or, or well, I mean, in real life, I believe she had a baby, I think. Uh, well, yeah, but when she, she came back and, and her, she tells Niles that I think, her her therapist thinks, you know, perhaps part of the reason she might have gained weight was like this pressure she felt about this relationship and the fact that she thinks Niles has built her up into this person, you know, into this mythical figure. And then, uh, you know, Niles and, and Frazier like go back into previous scenes from the show, back into his memory to sort of, you know, kind of discuss. I, I absolutely yeah. saw that episode and I thought it was beautifully handled. They did, they did a lot of wonderful episodes in those in those years one of the things that i that i truly did love about this show is that love story it uh a hundred percent uh i would say um for for at least a few uh heartbreaking crushes i've had on different people have definitely come from that idea of like oh you know loving someone from afar is this truly tragically romantic thing and and in the end somehow it'll work out um and i you know i'm curious about you know the 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 way that things unfolded in in something borrowed something blue i was fully as a fraser fan i was fully satisfied by that reveal um i'm curious about you know what thought process went into that being the reveal and just even waiting that long to do it uh, the thought process we had played we had played the near misses we had played the almost reveals a lot we decided yeah. at the beginning of season seven that the year would have to build to uh, to them declare or to not declaring and, and to Daphne sharing it and that we would get there to that ending through some some you know key milestones along the way the first and the biggest of which was that backtalk episode where Frazier under the influence of painkillers getting a message from Daphne <laughs> let it drop that no right. crazy about her and afterwards had no recollection of it so you know, there's a suddenly you right. played Daphne being aware of that at the same time you know that that she was that she was with somebody else and Niles was gravitating himself you know throwing the towel and realizing she's found somebody and I can't I have to I have to move on and us and find somebody myself only to for it all to come together in at the worst possible moment and at the end of the season so we and we mainly decided that because we felt we have jerked the audience's chain long enough they <laughs> they they have they have been with this you can only you can only play, you know, it's going to happen. No, it's not so many times before the audience stops being, you know, enjoying the tease and starts getting exasperated. And we felt we'd reached that point and that, that you know, that that had to be, you know, where where would end, where, where not the series would end, but where the season would end. For me, it didn't feel like it dragged because I was also, I, I was very just even impressed with the 
absurdity and just how things turned out with Maris, just the sort of roller coaster of that, um, of that marriage. And I mean, I'm glad I never ended up, none of us ended up seeing her, but if, if you, uh, could put in like, and this could be anyone dead or alive, I'm curious, uh, is there any actress that you could ever picture be like playing Maris? Any actress you could picture as Maris wouldn't need a role. She'd need medical attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) We had made far too many jokes about how impossibly thin she was that, you know, at a wine club trip, she got into a bat of grapes, stomped herself into a barefoot frenzy and failed to break even a single grape. Uh, She ran away through the snow and I tried to follow her tracks, but of course she uh, you 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 can't do those jokes and then possibly try to find a woman who doesn't give a lie to all of them. Uh, to me, the most sure. uh, uh, incredibly impressive thing about David's acting, among many many things, his you know, brilliance and comic timing, mm-hmm. was that he was a good enough actor to deliver those jokes about Maris routinely defying the laws of physics and gravity. And and For at sure. the same time, make you completely believe in the reality of the character, and his you know Absolutely. his you know conflicted, misguided love for her. You know, you used to always mm-hmm. wonder, you know, what you know, what how did that how did that romance begin? At what point, you know, what you know, what drew him <laughs> to her, and what you know, because she was so emotionally withholding and so capricious and so and so you know monstrously you know selfish and a, a funny character. But David knew that if you didn't believe. And the emotional reality of 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 the love Niles originally had for Maris, and his you know hope yeah. that it could be you know rekindled, then there'd be no conflict with Daphne. Why wouldn't he just tell Daphne? You know, if if you know if right. if he wasn't you know truly conflicted emotionally about about what he felt about Maris and what he owed to her. For sure, yeah. I mean, I you know this is me just making assumptions, but given the fact that you know before Daphne he is in a relationship with Mel, you know, there's many comparisons to to uh, Mel and with Maris. There's comparisons to the dog that he has for a while uh, with Maris, and I don't know. And then so Daphne's such a fresh change, and but he also thinks in his mind for so long that she's just completely unattainable. So part of me wonders if the women that he's with before. Daphne are just the women he thinks he deserves, if that makes any sense. That's how I sort of read him, because his taste in women is so vastly different compared to the woman that he ends up with. She's just so, so different. That's how I observed Daphne and Niles. You have correctly identified a paradox. (laughs) Why Why would the guy who, you know, who is so who is so you know keen on relationship with Maris and Mel uh, have Daphne as his true love? You know she was definitely a character that we rooted for romantically, and I think you know I I I I think we were meant to have the sense, and believe me, I haven't you know analyzed this thought about it to reveal that that Niles that that part of Niles that has an attraction to a certain kind of you know world and a certain kind of you know. Of you know elegance and high culture and you know and and prestige and marvelous people in tuxedos drinking wine. That you know that women who you know who represented that that would that would never be the entire reason why uh, why not go for a woman, but membership in the world would definitely trigger a certain part of his brain. 
Absolutely. And actually that brings me to, uh, there, there's an episode I, um, that's very late in the game. I think season 11, um, which, uh, is with Patrick Stewart called <laughs> the, the doctor, doctor is out. I love that episode. And I, I also thought just going from like where, uh, Frazier is, you know, in an episode like the matchmaker to a different, like it's, you know, yes, it's a plot where, he's mistaken for being gay. But the part that I loved about that episode is that some themes for me that stick out to that show all came together in this episode, specifically being mistaken for being gay, but also desperately wanting to be part of this like elite, like, you know, lifestyle. And the fact that he's just like contemplating that those choices, like, oh, maybe I can just date him at the end made me laugh. And it, and I didn't question it because just of, you know, with what you just said, this idea that the both of them are so, you know, they, they just want to be in this uh, elite, you know, yeah, community. It, 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 it seems it, like it, it was, it was more than that. It was, he felt uh, about Alistair, the same, the same complete, you know, abject, you know, hero worship. That you know that a, a guy would that a straight guy would feel towards you know being with you know with Michael Jordan or some you know something amazing sports <laughs> star. He was you know absolutely at the pinnacle of everything that Frazier admired. Uh, and <laughs> I, I was so happy when we came up with that idea early in, in loving play and joy. I mean, people talk about you know the gay farces and the farces of Frazier. You have to remember that in 264 episodes, there were only mm-hmm. four farces with a strong gay element to them. Matchmaker out with Dad, the Steve mm. Lodge, and the Doctor is out, and that was it. Four out of two hundred and sixty-four isn't exactly, you know, a, a you know massive area of focus show. People remember that, right. and that's nice because they were kind of you know, high, you know, pinnacles of, of of silliness and sexual discomfort, and you know, things that people find funny. But uh, I was, mm-hmm. what I should say was that I was very glad when we came up with that idea because I thought it would be fun to do another one, but do again what we've already done, what is going to make the story of sexual confusion and Frazier being taken today, what is going to make it different enough from the ones we've already done to justify the story right. again. And what is different right. is that, you know, Frazier worships the guy. Frazier, you know, mm-hmm. Frazier is outed by finding himself in a gay bar in Miles North. Again, the steps far as, you know, why is Frazier in a gay bar? Because, you know, why is Frazier outed? Frazier is outed because he's in a gay bar. Why is he in a gay bar? He's in a gay bar because he thought, you know, because he thought that he saw, you know, the friend of Ron is that he assumes, you know, would say he fucked up, so he follows him in and he can't find him. Miles leaves him. Why does he look extra, especially super gay? Because he split his tennis shorts and had to wear Niles. <laughs> so he's in a gay bar in right. ridiculously tight little white shorts, you know, waiting for Niles to use the bathroom while pop, bopping around to the music, you know, and it ends with Niles screaming, for God's sake, take me home. So, I've, of course, you know, you've got a, a funny circumstance in which Frazier will be outed on his show by a call the next day saying, the treasure dispenses advice, but he's a hypocrite. But then the uh, the the option of this today is this person, this you know, this world famous, you know, glamorous, erudite, massively talented, you know, director of opera, whom we see Fraser Niles fawning over when in a chance encounter in the first scene. Suddenly, that guy is very interested. Suddenly, that guy is inviting him to rehearsal, yeah. palling around, and Fraser, you know. <laughs> Frazier wants the friendship so bad he can't admit they're dating. 
<laughs> and yeah. the, 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 the guy sues <laughs> up this relationship. And the reason Frazier can hang on is for whatever reason, the guy has not made a move. Frazier will ride this train as far as it will take him <laughs> before he has to admit the truth of, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're not friends. You know, he's, he's dating you whether you know it or not, whether you want to admit it. Uh, and even there, I thought, why hasn't he made a move? It doesn't make sense. If he thinks he's dating Frazier, why hasn't he made that clear? And so I wrote a speech for him and the final scene, the opening night of his opera that he's been rehearsing. Where he talks about how when I'm doing an opera, I, I completely devote myself to the job at hand. No, I know exercise, and I, not even sex. Well, just ask Fraser here, <laughs> poor dear patient Fraser. <laughs> and it's a very funny way to pull a rug up from him and say, yeah, okay, you know, there you are. That's why he hasn't made a move. Yeah. Now it's open at night, so to speak. So, so that was that was that was you know that was you know uh, it was nice to do one more gay farces and make it just different enough to justify it. Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, you're absolutely correct in terms of, you know, how many specific episodes there were around that kind of plot. But there's definitely just little things that, you know, an undercurrent. Yeah. I think there were other moments where they where they were taken. There was a point where Niles was ring shopping in one of the seasons. I wasn't there for, but I remember this. They they Niles and Fraser were shopping for a ring for themselves. No, I remember that. I well, I so I was actually thinking of an episode where um, Lilith shows up, and um, she reveals that her I think husband or boyfriend left her for another man, and she. You know, she says something like, you know, Stan was looking for somebody more feminine and he found him. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. I was like, OK, all right, Mary. I mean, well, there's definitely a lot of the women on that show. Um, definitely, I would say, fall under like, you know, don't don't mess with me. Like I, you know, I felt the same way about I, like Lilith, um, BB, Dr. Nora, which is, I think, a show that yes. or an episode that you had it uh, yes. for? Yes, I did. I wrote that yes. one. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm a big Christine Bur- Bransky fan. That was the only time in, in Frasier that we based an outside character on a real-life person. And it was, of course, Dr. Laura, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who uh, who was at the time at the time doing, you know, you know had, a, had a radio show and was, you know, full of, she was really just, you know, kind of a, kind of a, a, a disagreeable, truculent, you know, a, avatar of, you know, old, uh, you know, old fashioned, you know, <laughs> 1950s sexual morality. Oh. And we always decided that it would be interesting to, to do a character like her because she, you know, she intersected so clearly with Frazier's world. Uh, she had the, she had the same job as him. So somebody coming to the station that would be like that, and Fraser sort of you know taking you know, taking this you know, woman under his wing, and then discovering that he you know, kind of unleashed the monster. Mm-hmm, yeah, there's a joke. There was a joke from that I loved when you know he said his show was so popular that he was considering they were considering doing a a, a third hour of it. He was looking for somebody new to you know, to, to sort of carry on the show. It was a third hour, but I mean, I do a third hour, but it would be absolutely exhausting for for me to do a third hour. And I'll said, yes, for you as well, I'm sure. Uh, I I really liked sort of uh, the the way he she ends up sort of getting well punished at the end, which is, I don't know, I don't know if Freudian is the right word, but the fact that you know where did where did her personality come from? It turns out you know she has this crazy mother. 
you know, who's uh, seemingly probably made her, well, called her a whore a lot, (laughs) um, but seemingly sort of shaped the kind of advice that she gives out. Uh, yes, yes. I remember. I, but I, what I did like about that that ending would be was that it was Frazier trying to rise above his his disapproval and his dislike of her, and trying to repair her relationship. That Frazier approached, finds tracks down mother, and brings them together, in the hopes of affecting Rochemont. Sure. And you you find out that the mother, you know, you know, can't stand her daughter, and has only been looking for a chance to you know to lay into her again. Absolutely, uh, which was also part of a uh, part of Dr. Laura's lore that she uh, she famously had uh, was completely estranged from her mother for reasons that she would not discuss at all on the air. Uh, so he said, "Well, since she won't discuss them, we'll just have to make up something, won't we?" Uh. <laughs> um, so I did. I was curious about the the last episode. Good night, Seattle, which, by the way, if you don't know this about my podcast, that's how I end every episode by saying good night, Seattle. Does it make any sense? No, because I'm in New York and it's not nighttime. But um, I uh, I was a fan of of how you guys um, of how you wrapped the show up. Um, you know, get, I, I'm curious about, you know, when did the decision come in to have him like him leaving made a lot of sense to me but you know at what point did you know you think you know what let's uh let's leave things on a bit of a cliffhanger was you know like was that intentional the fact that you know you wonder and you well, don't know when we knew uh when uh, chris Hard and i returned to the show you know, the last, and we knew it would be the last show. And uh, it's a very important thing to know that you're doing a flat season of the show because you can sort of bring the series to the conclusion and end with things that you, the aftermath of which you don't need to deal with. You can give Niles and Daphne a baby without having to do now a season for them being parents and trying to find fresh variations on all the jokes that have been, you know, so many times. Uh, but we, we knew going into it that we wanted to bring all the characters to a culmination that would leave, you know, Fraser feeling that he needed he needed to move on. And the other thing we knew, because uh, that's, you know, the show that, you know, Cheers ended with, you know, because you're taking a leap of, you know, the, the courage to, you know, go back to Seattle and start a new life with the father he was estranged from and the brother with whom he had a rocky relationship and being you know, that far away from his kid, mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was a scary thing for Frazier. We thought, well, he should do that again. He should say, mm-hmm. you know, everybody here has reached a settled point that Martin would find a wife. So we said, well, who's Martin? Doesn't marry. And we came up with the character Ronnie and not those stories. And uh, that's, we knew that it would be really exciting and something we hadn't seen before to see Frazier so many funny woman of the week bad dating stories to finally feel about a woman the way Miles felt about Daphne. We had never seen Frazier in love. Mm-hmm. We had seen him. And his, I mean, his his romances were all oh, who's this? Who's this wonderful woman? Who's you know? Who's this? Who's this? You know, Mike Miss Wright. And all gone by the end of the episode to see him actually, you know, oh, and experience you know the emotion of years. And the tricky, you know, question there was, well, who do we who do we cast? Right. He's gone through that. What is going to make the audience feel 
And it's not a matter of you know, being able to cast it. Who was the audience going to want to see him with? Who was the audience going to say, yeah, you're right. This is the one. This is, this is, the, uh, this is the role. And this is the actress. We'd be happy to think of Frasier winding up with. And, uh, and we thought, well, Laura Linney would be fantastic. She's such a good actress. And, you know, she has you know, such, uh, such, you know, heart and such, you know, such presence and such warmth. If Frasier fell in love with her, we'd totally be, totally be looking for that. Right. And right. Laura fortunately agreed to do it. And we, you know, it was only about six episodes that can happen to season. But it, it did, you know, bring him to a place where she had to go, she had to leave and go to another city, and he was going to step off the cliff again and fall over, and we didn't know what happened there. But we were, you know, glad that, and, you know, everybody was left in a place where, you know, everything he, he, everything he saw when he came back to Seattle had been achieved, and he was the only one still looking you know, for somebody to share his life with, and he found her and had to fall over. Yeah. Well, it was a very romantic uh place to end do you do you ever think or did you with anyone else from you know the 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 writing staff did did any of you wonder or do you think do you think that they ended up together do i think that they ended up together yeah uh like does his gamble work i never i never wondered if they got together i just i just loved the gesture and i i, I knew that frazier would be okay in the end but uh, I love the I love the uncertainty of it too much to want to even in my mind move past it to of course they lived happily ever after. Well, I I actually so after watching that episode, I I did uh, an entire episode of this podcast about Fraser fan fiction um, because if you <clears throat> didn't know, there is a whole very vast world of Fraser fan fiction out there. Um, I when I had Josh Gondelman on, we went through. There was one particular guy who had started writing Fraser fan fiction while the show was still on as in you know he wrote like an entire spin-off for Roz for example um so i'm just i ju- uh, before we sort of wrap up uh i would just love to run by like two or three of these spin-off ideas to you cuz i'm curious if they pique pique your, pique your interest so this one comes from me that i came up with it's called it's called young martin and it's basically a gritty crime drama that follows young martin crane as a cop solving crimes and it definitely starts with him uh meeting his future wife who also i forgot i know they met over a chalk outline but i forgot what her job was like a coroner or something or a psychologist no a psychologist no, she was a psychologist she, she was a psychologist she was a psychologist she was probably and they met over yeah. a uh, met over a chalk outline um so you know there's a lot of gritty uh, reboots that seems to be like the trend right now, you know, with like um, uh, Riverdale, which is a, but you know, that's a, that's a prequel is what you're pitching. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Fine. It's a, <laughs> it's a gritty uh, prequel. It's a, it's a dra- it's the drama prequel. It's the drama. Which, believe it or not, believe it or not has been done. Who is the one character in sitcom history who transitioned from a comedy to a drama? Ugh. Oh, I'm so bad at this. I, I honestly already give up. <laughs> What's the answer? Lou Grant, Mary Tyler Moore's boss, Lou Grant, was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And there was an hour-long show called Lou Grant, where he was, uh, I believe, working at a newspaper. Oh, I had no so I'd, idea. So I've actually played Lou Grant on two series, and the second one was a drama, not a comedy, which is, I think, really the only time, only time this happened. Wow. Okay. So are you telling me that this is a good idea? <laughs> 
or you're saying it's already been done before. So let's move move on to something else. <laughs> I, well, it, it's a fun idea. It's actually, it's, it's actually a, a little bit of um, Young Sheldon too. When you oh. go back in time, because you would you would see you would see uh, Martin and Hester and Fraser and Niles in their formative years. There you I go. think that could be fun. Clearly, clearly there's clearly there's mileage in it. I think the young children is doing well. You know what? I can't believe that in all of the fan fiction that I combed through and wrote myself, nobody seemed to have come up with a a, a young Sheldon basis, as in like, you know, a Malcolm in the Middle situation and everyone's like coming of age. The fam, you know, they also live together. That's a show I would watch 100 percent. You never know. It could happen. <laughs> you, um, was there ever was that ever a. um conversation ever ever doing like a reunion uh no there was always a feeling from the cast certainly from from david hyde pierce that uh it wasn't a good idea and that we had uh we were very glad to have gotten the show over the finish line in and in a way as you know as as good <laughs> to search for or properly Frazier, you know, a highfalutin word. It was good. <laughs> we, we wanted to leave it there. We wanted to leave it there. Uh, so so I know Niles was, uh, Niles David I. Pierce was considered a bad idea. And we wouldn't want to do it now anyway because we don't have John. Did you have a favorite character that you did like to write for on the show? I couldn't really decide. I mean, there, yeah. there, were, mo- there were moments where you loved writing all of them. I mean, I always enjoyed writing novels. I clearly enjoyed writing B.B. Glazer, whom we didn't get to at all. Oh, I love her. B.B., uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she's, uh, she's a wonderful actress. She's a wonderful character, and she's, uh, she's a very good friend of mine, uh, Harriet oh. Harris, who was oh. just, I just went back east uh, a few weeks ago to see her in a musical. Oh. Well, I can give you one, one Frasier story that you'll never hear anywhere else. Oh, let's, yes, let's uh, hear it. Okay, one 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 reveal. The uh, the musical theater composer William Finn, who mm-hmm. wrote the twenty fifth annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and Falsettos and The New Brain, among other shows, approached us uh, in season two or three, wanting to write a musical episode of Frasier. Oh my! And uh, <gasps> he, he he was he he loved the show and he wanted to he wanted to write a whole musical episode, and we we couldn't go with it because it was so hard getting twenty four episodes a year done on our schedule and a musical one would have been so difficult, you know, to write and to time out. The, uh, it, doing a musical number is so complicated that it takes so much longer to do Yeah. Just, uh, than, 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 uh, than a standard episode, you know, in terms of the writing of it and what, you know, what if you wrote something and, you know, and we, we didn't think it worked or what if it didn't time out right. We just thought it was so logistically daunting <laughs> that you know, we we didn't we didn't want to go any further down the road with it because we didn't want him to start write, writing something, and then say, oh, we don't think this is going to work. So rather than rather than risk you know uh, wasting the time of a, of a terrific you know songwriter composer, and then at the theater we just said it's uh, we don't know how we would begin to work that into the schedule as we have to do it. That's an incredibly so, incredibly fun fact. I will say, I feel musically, I feel like I was satisfied by uh, 
you know, there's like an episode uh, in one of the final seasons where uh, the gang uh, stays in a cabin and they all have weird dreams. And, uh, and, and so, you know, um, there was a, there was a Martin musical number, which I greatly enjoyed. And probably not coincidentally, I also loved when the, there's a much earlier episode where he, you know, tries to pitch Frank Sinatra a song. It gets rejected, oh, but then such a groovy lady. Yeah. I love, I love yeah, that Martin, scene. That was when, a, that was a wonderful episode. I broke three songs for, for Laurie Metcalf. Oh, really? When she came back as Frank. Did you not see, um, Caught in the Act? The, uh, sorry, say that again. Caught in the Act. It's Laurie Metcalf, uh, is playing yeah. Frazier's first wife. Yes. The children's performing it. And I Frazier did see that. And that's her right. During children. Yep, dressed <laughs> as a baby. Yep, that's right. I remember yep. that one. Wow. Uh, Which well, is definitely the the biggest humiliation. Later <laughs> seasons of the show, we never we never beat him up that badly, but he earned it in that one by, by overcoming his scruples to jump into bed with his ex wife, despite the fact that she was not married. And so the episode ends with she's down in the basement of the theater with a full audience of children waiting for her, and she makes her entrance on a bed that rises to the stage, and she refuses to go on because the stricken that Frazier won't sleep with her, and that he says you can't, you can't disappoint all those children. And she says, "Oh, let them learn now that life is life is bitter and unfair." <laughs> and Frazier t- Frazier tears his shirt off, and he says, "All right then, throw the children <laughs> on the bed." Uh, the pain is justification for you know rationalization for adultery. Uh, I never I never heard in my life, but it's it's a moment. Of, her weakness, but when she's immediately punished, he doesn't he doesn't get to have sex with her. That immediately starts to rise, and he's trapped on stage and naked in the, in the middle. Of- oh yes, and then it will rise up to the flies by you know, by the the end of the number, leaving him trapped in the flies. So he doesn't find a way to get you know to to escape. It is. It is the most. It is the most horrible thing that did to Fraser in eleven seasons. He had. Oh yeah, no, that visual of him with with the diaper and the baby's bonnet is just truly (laughs) in tattooed in on in my brain forever. (laughs) (laughs) I would absolutely love to have you come back one day if you would ever come back. Would you? I would I would absolutely come back. I would we'll, love. See, we'll see how this. We'll see how this one goes, and how many Twitter followers it loses you first. I'm very. I'm very. <laughs> I think we're. There's going to be some very happy reactions to this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, I look. For, I look for. I look forward to reading about it. I never. When I do these things, I never listen to them afterwards because I wind up cringing and regretting, <laughs> wishing I said things. And the the only way I can do them is to promise myself not to listen afterwards. Okay, you don't have to listen. If I listened, I I would never do another one. Okay, so don't listen to it then. (laughs) Do not listen to it. Um, I the next time we talk, I a hundred percent would love to talk about BB. Who, by the way, I want to do an entire episode just about favorite recurring characters who aren't regular characters, and she is a hundred percent my favorite, not like non regular on the show. And I could go on forever about the episode she's on where she quits. Smoking. That is one of my like when she does this monologue about why she loves smoking. It's just one of my favorite monologues 
ever. So um, I would love uh, to get into her character the next time you're here. Well, I would, I'd, be, I'd be happy to talk about Phoebe any day. Great. Wonderful. Um, well, on that note, um, I want to thank Joe Keenan for coming on this show. And I'm so happy for him to hear me uh, end this show with the name of the final episode of Frasier that he wrote. Good night, Seattle. 